passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the AEW All Out 2021 post show. I'm John Pollock, along with Wei Ting, manning all of the controls tonight. Hello, Wei. How you doing, John? I am doing excellent. I did not know what state you and I would be in because when we did our first show earlier this afternoon, our energy levels were a little low, and I didn't know what it would be like. Yeah, it is pretty into this. I mean, it, it was right it now. was going to be a concern given, you know, like the two Tokyo Dome shows that we committed to covering earlier this week, um, spent some time watching some of the other wrestling that was available this week as well. So we knew we had a, you know, four and a half, five hour show ahead of us. I have not been this energized uh, following a wrestling show uh, in a very long, long time, like maybe ever, you know, that that show was incredible. This was an all time great pay-per-view i think it was uh right up there with with any show you want to list i think this is a candidate in that company it had i think every element you'd be looking for coming out of a show and i think we should start about uh start with the major news and that was saved for the ending where it was not just brian danielson showing up but adam cole as well aligning with the elite and i think adam cole would have been the uh, more of the surprise. Certainly we knew that possibility was out there, uh, but Adam Cole showing up and I mean, you can, you can look at it in two ways of man, putting all of this on tonight, you could have spread it out. The other argument is that this was just such a giant show that seems to be, we have all of our ducks in a row. We are going into this fall to blow this thing up as big as possible. And we've got all of our players for you to go into our fall season. And you shot a major angle. And as we've talked about, a lot of names coming in, a lot of baby faces. They do need some heels. And Adam Cole certainly is in that role. So what what did you think about the introductions? Well, I think by the time the show had started, you know, enough rumors were out there, enough teases were already sent out there, not just by, I think, reporters, but by CM Punk really himself, you know, throughout interviews and, and, and whatnot, that I don't know if a Daniel Bryan, um, like, return was going to be that unexpected, as you mentioned, John. Um, nonetheless, by the time that they got there to the, towards the end of the show, and they revealed that it was Adam Cole... I think plenty plenty of people were were very satisfied. You know, if we would start the show tonight talking about Adam Cole has joined AEW and you know Daniel Bryan's status to be to be remained uh, remained to be revealed, we would have all been like pretty happy. But there would have been a little bit of disappointment, I think, because you know Bryan is the bigger star. Bryan was the one that I think was largely teased. So when they had Adam Cole come out reveal himself to join the heel side to again heat the crowd up 
to want a baby face to come in to balance it. And that's when Daniel Bryan came out. That blew my mind. The fact that they decided to cram the two biggest free agents in the company debuting in the same segment on the same show. Um, I think as a move by AEW, it's like, look, at look, like we're excited enough. I think with one of those putting both of them together, that's, that's almost like, you know, like on paper, I'm thinking, do you want to like, you know, would Adam Cole be, be overshadowed putting him on the heel side in opposition to Brian, I think like was a great way of making them one A and one, one B, you know, and, and he's introduced in the major angle, which is the the elite versus everybody. So, I mean, it places him in a very strong role right off the bat. And I think more than anything, like tonight, man, you heard that statement that they gave at the end. AEW is the home of professional wrestling. And if you are someone, this was expected. And I think uh, a slam dunk that this is going to be their most purchased pay-per-view of all time. And if you're talking about fans that maybe had never bought an AEW pay-per-view before or were not regular weekly viewers that watch this show, you're coming out of it saying, this is where everyone wants to be. This is the company that is making moves. And it's all one-way traffic. Like, you come out of this, this feels like the hottest company in the world. I completely agree. Not only that, like, it feels like pro wrestling is hot again, like, legitimately. And, I mean, it was already feeling that way to, I think, a lot of us within the circle. But, you know, it's like this, this tonight is like the, the type of move that, like, I haven't really checked Twitter. I haven't really checked with my non-wrestling fans or anything like that. But it feels like it is the type of move that will make waves outside of the bubble, which is exactly what a brand new company, which is exactly what pro wrestling needs. Like, this reminds me of, like... You know, when like LeBron and like, uh, uh, who was it? Dwayne Wade, like when, when all those guys joined the heat, you know who I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, this was, this was the equivalent of the decision, I guess that Danielson made. I am not at all like that big of a basketball fan, but even I was aware of something like that. And you know, it, it maybe this would be something similar for AEW. There's definitely something to be said about just cramming it all into one space with your biggest audience watching at the moment. And um, that's the feeling we're left with tonight. Well, based on your previous habits, does that mean you're thinking of checking out at this point? <laughs> I, I, I thought think... that seems to be your kryptonite to that's, that's your time to, uh, check, please. I'm out. I'm a bit more committed this time around than, uh, maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. Contractually you are. So, uh, we are going to get into the show. That was obviously, I mean, there was a lot of news on this show. Um, but also, I mean, this is one where, I mean, I was talking about earlier this week, the idea of this like cracking like 190, 200,000 buys. Like I, I think it will. And I think that this Wednesday is certainly going to threaten that 1.4 million they did for the premiere. Like if they don't, uh, I'd, I'd really be, it would be tough to see what is going to crack that figure. Like I think Wednesday has a very big chance of doing that with the combination of Brian Danielson with Adam Cole, all of the buzz off just the pay-per-view alone and we'll throw in John Moxley versus Minoru Suzuki for you in Cincinnati. Like, Amazing. Like, what the... Like, the ticket sales tomorrow are going to be very indicative uh, in Cincinnati of just what this show meant. Like, I, I would imagine anyone, like, within a couple hours uh, distance is really contemplating wanting to be at that show on Wednesday, where you're also going to get Rampage as well. So you'll probably get the... You get Pack and you know, You'll get Pack and Andrade on top of it. Like, that's a very attractive show to go to on Wednesday. You know, like it had started to feel like maybe Chicago was kind of getting all the love and some of the other shows, you know, that weren't in New York or, or kind of getting some of the, I don't know, uh, maybe being forgotten about. And 
That's clearly not the case because um, this they are going to be the first show to receive this brand new, renewed, refreshed All Star AEW roster along with Minoru Suzuki on the show. Can you like? Somebody needs to take a backstage like group shot of all the people that were back there today because I mean the amount of talent is insane. A group photo would have been uh, something tonight of all the uh, the talent that was there at the show tonight at the Now Arena. So we're going to get into the show itself. Uh, we This is our second show of the day for Post Wrestling Cafe members, and there may be uh, new ones uh, joining here. Uh, we did do our review of the two shows from the MetLife Dome from this weekend. That is up now on the Cafe feed, going through both shows and also discussing the G1 blocks, the three-night experiment of Wrestle Kingdom next January, and sort of a, a state of New Japan as they go into what is traditionally their biggest season of the year with the G1 starting September 18th. So that was, uh, all, all uh, exhaustion aside, I thought uh, an entertaining chat that Wei and I had about New Japan in and of itself. I thought so too, and I thought really in contrast to like the amount of freshness and excitement that we have coming out of this product, you know, it really is a bit of a sort of a picture on, on, on the state of New Japan right now. So I also got had a chance to watch the GCW uh, Art of War game show. So I spoke a bit about that. So that's available for all patrons. And I also wanted to mention, if you are tuning in live, thank you for being a Double Double Ice Cap or Espresso patron. We are live for all you guys uh, every Monday, Wednesday, and for all these major pay-per-views. So if we have time a, a little bit later on, we want to get to some of your calls, especially those of you who attended live. Yes, uh, we're going to try and get to as many calls as possible, so uh, please be uh, courteous of how many we're, we're going to try and uh, fit in with your, uh, with your thoughts. Okay, the buy-in uh, with Excalibur and Tony Schiavone on commentary. It was an opening 10-man tag. Very simple match, but it got two of your bigger entrances out there with uh, Baltimore and the Pixies, with Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, and Wheeler Yuta, defeating Matt Hardy and Helico, Jack Evans, and Private Party. Uh, a, a showcase for pretty much everybody getting a, a little moment in this, but the key ones being, you know, Cassidy with the hands in the pocket, doing his sequence with Angelico, and then a double Rana onto Private Party. We had TH2 and Jurassic Expre Express playing chicken with one another, and Jungle, uh, Jungle Boy knocking Jack Evans off the shoulders of Angelico. The blade appeared, and Marco Stunt dove off Luchasaurus's shoulders with a high cross to the floor, and Jungle Boy got Angelico in the snare trap for the submission in 9 minutes and 25 seconds. Afterwards, the HFO attacked the babyfaces with the Butcher making his return, attacking Cassidy, and they were going to cut his hair. Watching his Tank Avid tapes. I guess so, yes. This was a less violent version of what we saw from uh, Toru Yano. Uh, they were actually going to cut his hair, and this was too much. The Jurassic Express, the Varsity Blondes, who pride themselves on their hair. Dante Martin and other members of the Dark Order came out to save him. The Babyfaces all did a big group hug with the with the zoom out, a la the best friends. And, and then we had uh, a Dan Lambert promo, but uh, that was the buy-in, essentially. We had some uh, UFC personnel as well, but your thoughts on the match? I thought the match was a perfect preview show match to showcase some of your middle-of-the-pack baby faces that have been gaining a lot of steam um, and that are essentially, I think, your originals, really, and Jungle Boy and Orange Cassidy and, and a chance for their big entrances with their licensed theme songs as well. And also, I thought you also gave plenty of shine here to Luchasaurus, who I think continues to really, like, start... He's really starting to stand back out again after a period of, you know, I would say relative, like inactivity due to injury or whatnot uh so i thought it was a great warm-up match that like just really 
He was becoming extinct. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. But it, a great warm-up match that I think really heightened this party atmosphere that this crowd already set forth, like, for the moment they walked into that building. Yeah, I think, like, a great warm-up with two great entrances. And, you know, obviously this is an element that I think Tony Khan sees as, like, it was a great staple of ECW. And he's playing, man, what if we actually cleared this music and could use it? So that that's what you're getting here. And we would get uh, more licensed music later in the show. Uh, I mentioned yeah. Dan Lambert. He was in a press box with the Men of the Year. And along with uh, Junior Dos Santos, Andre Arlovsky was there. Uh, Jorge Masvidal. Jorge Masvidal was there uh, as well. And it was Dan Lambert cutting a two-minute Dan Lambert promo and being in the uh, private box, which uh, maybe that was the box we were in at All In. Could have been, yeah. You know, it was um, the point coming out of this promo wasn't exactly that clear. It felt like they were both like like the the Men of the Year and then Lambert were also they weren't necessarily on the same page, or at least I came out of the segment not really expecting what that you know what to expect. And the announcers, I thought, were trying to like clarify it by stating that, hmm, we like it seems like they're stating their intent on getting involved tonight, and obviously that never paid off. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming this is just a team up that we will see play out um, on TV. But does it indicate that more? Uh, there's going to be more. Uh, uh, what is it? Interaction with from Andre Arlovsky, Masvidal, and JDS. Well, it's interesting because Arlovsky and Jorge Masvidal are under UFC contract, and it does prohibit pro wrestling unless you get some kind of exemption. So I, I really don't know what they can even do as UFC fighters. Whereas um, Junior Dos Santos is no longer with UFC, you could do uh, there. There would be no hiccup there. But I, I'd be curious just what. What are they allowed to do in pro wrestling? They, they might just kind of play muscle, I suppose. Maybe deliver the odd punch or something. The show, uh, Jim Ross joined the broadcast. Um, I know Jim Ross is polarizing to some. I thought he had a terrific broadcast tonight. I thought he was uh, tremendous, uh, in particular, in the steel cage match. Uh, I thought he had a very good show. I enjoyed the commentary quite a lot. Tony Schiavone seemed like he had a grin surgically implanted on his face for the entire show. He just seemed so excited to be part of this show from the beginning to the end. And mm -hmm. Excalibur was, you know, his usual self as well. Like I thought the commentary was a big strength of this show. Uh, I don't disagree. You know, there's a, there's an air of excitement, not just, I think amongst the audience, but really amongst the commentators as well. You know, did this... you watch him with punk on the countdown? Yes, I did. He was Terrific great stuff. No, seriously, like for those sit down interviews, I don't think you can have a better person um, in that company, maybe even in wrestling to do those things than Jim Ross. He's perfect for that role. From that, from tonight, the countdown and the, the segment introducing Chris Jericho, where he was brought to tears. Like yeah. th this was maybe Jim Ross's like strongest week. It was a very good week. You know, I, I, I think I, I, I don't love him in a play by play role, but I will say Especially when you're talking about a new audience that is checking this stuff out for the first time, maybe a Laps fan that hasn't watched since the Attitude Era, Jim Ross, and maybe Tony Schiavone too, to an extent, they are invaluable voices. Those are the names that I think I hear non-fans, very casual WWE fans or former WWE fans talk about, along with, you know, I'm checking the CM Punk out. And then I stuck around for Jim Ross because I recognize his voice. Like having that painted over across your entire product is is a very valuable thing. But Excalibur, I thought was to me like he's the MVP, honestly, of like 
of wrestling commentary these days. Like he just he has he knows the histories of every single person, no matter where you wrestled in what pocket of the corner of the world. He knows everything about your career and like his his actual like the flair he has, his charisma is getting a whole lot better too. So he he's just what what a what a find. Yeah, and you know what? It's like we've we've had Excalibur at like this level, but uh, the other night I went back and watched the, the ladder match with, with the Bucks and the Lucha Brothers from two years ago. He has gotten mm-hmm. much better in these two years. Mm-hmm. It's very notable when you go back and uh, granted it was one match I watched, but I mean that was kind of his wheelhouse calling that that ladder match, uh, which two years later still really great. <laughs> I'll bet, yeah. So we open with the TNT Championship with Miro against Eddie Kingston. And I mean, this is just a great, um, this is just a great thing that wrestlers have at their disposal now is a line gets over on TV the next morning, you're printing shirts and redeem these nuts represented by Eddie Kingston here. I mean, they had these up like Saturday, the day after the promo. It's the benefit of um, having a studio that you have very close connections to. And uh, I guess uh, direct direct to garment printing. Yeah, it's a wonderful technology. He's going to redeem these royalties in a yeah. big amount. You, you imagine how many people in Queens at Arthur Ashe Stadium <laughs> are going to be making these nuts jokes? Maybe. Unbearable if you're like in a crowd and these people are four four beers deep and they're these nuts making a comeback. Oh yeah, maybe. Well, if Eddie Kingston, I think had you know as as big pockets as CM Punk, um, maybe he can call up a nut company to print oh, some packets of. Don't, don't do that when I'm drinking. Redeem these nuts to give away Water. to fans. Um, this is a great opener. Um, yeah. Eddie Kingston just assumed the, the soul of Toshiaki Kawada for this match. And, uh, dude, Eddie Kingston's selling was phenomenal. Um, his ability to sell like the flash knockouts when Miro would strike him and he was like losing his equilibrium was fantastic stuff. Uh, this was among the best matches I have seen with Miro. They just that one line in the promo about his neck set the scene for this whole match and Kingston working for those Saito suplexes. He hits an elbow suicida to Miro after he rolls to the floor and then Kingston gets stunned after the release German and in the process removes the turnbuckle pad. Miro then stomps his back and applies uh, game over. Uh, but Kingston reaches to the rope and this crowd was just elated that he reached the rope and this was going to continue. Kingston pops up, Urican, DDT, but Bryce Remsburg is dealing with the fallen turnbuckle pad. And this audience was ready to just murder this guy. They were irate, and he quickly comes over. Miro kicks out at two and a half, and Remsburg prevents Miro from being knocked into the exposed buckle. Miro then capitalizes with a low blow that Bryce doesn't see, head kick, pump kick, and he pins Eddie Kingston in 13 minutes and 22 seconds. I can see some being a little annoyed at the amount of Bryce Remsburg involved in this finish, but it was an excellent opener, and I think what we got here was the door being open here to naturally go to a rematch, whether it be with some kind of stipulation, with a special enforcer referee, something like that. So I think you created the bridge to a rematch, but uh, all that said, I thought this was a really great opener. I thought so too. I thought it was a wonderful decision to put Eddie Kingston in your opener. I mean, I think traditionally you put maybe like a high cruiserweight type of style style match out there or a really hot tag match in AEW's case, but like 
putting a fan favorite like Eddie Kingston out there gets the crowd when they are arguably at their most energetic to just dump on this guy that they absolutely love. Um, you know, like this crowd really wanted this guy to win. And the fact that he didn't, I don't think is a bad thing at all because you're setting him up for the biggest win of his life at Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York under home turf. Um, it was a tremendous match, very hard hitting. Had, you know, like 80% of Eddie Kingston taking a beating and selling it. And I thought that was perfect because it allowed that crowd to continue to just vo- vocally, you know, ex- exude their very deep connection to this perfect underdog and showed you how effective Miro is at being this incredibly daunting monster obstacle for that underdog to overcome. So in terms of chemistry, that was absolutely perfect for where they are. Um, they want to see this guy win the title so bad, and they dangled that carrot throughout the entire match in the form of this really great match. So, man, Miro is just, like, so good. Like, his presence is incredible. His promos are great. His offense looks so good. And the man is in the best physical shape, it looks like, of his entire career thus far. So they've really just, like... He he is fantastic. So I'm happy to see his run continue, but I'm I, I'll be even happier to see Eddie Kingston win it maybe a few weeks from now. Yeah, you, I mean a lot of options you can go with, like a last man standing match, something like that. But just imagine that that visual of Eddie Kingston with the TNT title, the Mad King of Queens. <laughs> Lovely. That's that is brilliant. Print that shirt. These nuts <laughs> is your alternative. Satoshi Kojima and John Moxley. I actually thought they might have opened the show with, with this, but it went second. Uh, fine placement for it. Moxley, your new GCW champion, comes out in a GCW hoodie. Great little shout out. Yeah. So yeah. now we know what the the championship package comes with from GCW. You get a you get a hoodie. No hoodie. Yeah, I'm sure all the GC like GCW fans were probably rejoicing just seeing simply seeing that. Um, this this guy's body language, just as he's walking through the crowd and how it has devolved in the last few weeks to this dude looks furious as he's coming through the crowd like this. It's like a whole adjustment. And the way he worked the match, he just looks pissed. He looks pissed, but I think it would have helped if he had like a cowboy hat on, you know, maybe a gas mask. Can you imagine like that fucking stupidity? Like you have a guy who is so naturally just like. It, it he's such a character just in the way he he's able to look and walk in his posture and you want to dump all this bullshit on top of him like that is outrageous so anyway just <laughs> ignoring that um yeah no the yeah, I, I can't really say like you know maybe the the hype was that strong going into this but i mean the crowd is always there for moxley and i think putting this earlier on in the show is uh was definitely a benefit satoshi kojima will turn 51 next week um, you know, th- this is not Satoshi Kojima in his prime, but dude, this guy's charisma is still at a very high level. And this was a crowd that they knew all of the Kojima spots and they were going to make sure this match worked and they wanted to make sure this show worked. And there was a great lesson that even the matches we looked at as maybe not the biggest build, the crowd like made up for a lot of it on on this show and they treated this match like here's a legend from japan coming to take on one of the stars of of aew and we're lucky to see this match like that's what the audience felt like i thought it 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 worked more so throughout the opening like the start the first half of the show than towards the second like with the paul white qt marshall well that match we'll get to it was sort of it was what it was 
Um, so we had, you know, the two going back and forth here. Kojima hit a DDT on the edge of the apron. And somehow in all of this, Moxley's elbow gets cut. And Excalibur instantly brings up the staff infection that Moxley had that took him out of this event two years ago when he was supposed to face Kenny Omega, like just on top of things. He knows everything. And like he's, again, like working with Jim Ross and, and Tony for so long, he's getting so much more like of the actual presentation uh, and, and the flow of things. And also, like he always just has a really sharp mind of how to tie something from a man's career into the current storyline. So everything was built around Kojima trying to hit the Cozy Lariat. He hit it with the left arm but not the right one. And Moxley ducks the lariat, hits a German. Kojima hits a Koji cutter. Both are down. And then Moxley springs off the middle rope, kills him with a lariat, bulldog joke, bulldog choke, which Kojima breaks by getting his leg on the rope. And Moxley told Aubrey Edwards that he quit, which he did not. So Moxley using an underhanded tactic here, but it did not work. Kojima then uh, brought out Tenzon's Mongolian chops and then ducked the lariat, paradigm shift, hit a second paradigm shift, and pins Kojima in 11 minutes, 51 seconds. Good match. Um, 11 minutes, I thought, was a fair length of time, but I, I almost feel like maybe it would have benefited from being a little bit tighter because I felt there were some dead points of the match where the match did feel a little bit aimless and the crowd wasn't really reacting to, to that much. And I think that really largely just comes down to Kojima's rather limited exposure um, in North America and also maybe as a relevant player in, you know, modern day New Japan um, and also the lack of story ahead of the match. But, you know, nonetheless, like the talk of the segment will be what followed. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought it was a fine match for what it was. It was right at the level I, I anticipated from this match. And with that, uh, Moxley is in the ring and all of a sudden, Kaza Ninare blares throughout the now arena and outwalks Minoru Suzuki. This man and the look, just the facial expressions as he walked out. This man never needs to say a word in his life. He was captivating this entire 10,000 seat audience and they erupt for the chorus as he enters the ring and goes face to face with John Moxley. They begin to just, they just go right into it. Forearm exchange. Audience is just going nuts. Suzuki, just the way he sold the lariat and we would not lose balance from it. And then grabs the rear naked choke, gotch pile driver, and lays out Moxley. A phenomenal segment. Um, the only question was, when are they going to do the match? And they answered it by the end of the show. It will be Wednesday in Cincinnati. So kudos to the caller we had on Friday that called this verbatim. Totally, yeah. They the 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 caller noticed that Suzuki was in in the city, but had a, a two week break before you know his first uh, date with GCW or whichever indie he was scheduled to plan to do. So, uh, called it. This was Minoru Suzuki, and this was not a name that I think was really batted around for you know being a surprise. And I will say, as much as I love that uh, Daniel uh, Brian Danielson, as much as I love Adam Cole, hearing Kazaninare was as big of a memorable like reaction from me watching this at home is anything else like just the idea that all of these names are under one one roof and these damn fans that i'm so jealous of who got to be in that building to see everything they did and they got a kazaninare and they got Minoru suzuki like doing a, a a forearm exchange with john moxley like damn i'm so jealous um 
So, you know, like, I guess with him being in town, part of the question is at least, hey, like, could they have booked Suzuki versus Moxley for tonight? And maybe they could have, but I do understand spreading the wolf, you know, especially when you're talking about Moxley returning home in Cincinnati and giving that crowd an incredible performance from that guy in a very hyped match. So, God, it was like, it was crazy seeing Suzuki in AEW. Yeah, and I guess the question will be like, how many matches they get out of this guy during this this mini excursion? I mean, everything to me just goes to like this song playing at Arthur Ashe Stadium, dude. <laughs> Every yeah, sir. Just make yeah, Arthur Ashe Stadium like a five hour event. <laughs> uh, Minoru Suzuki yeah. against Daniel Garcia. Every Danielson. Yeah, I whatever. hope so. I hope somebody records like a compilation of all the Kazanin RAs that are going to take place in 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 the U.S. You know. I, you know what I want? I want a road to featuring Minoru Suzuki. Uh, uh, yeah, sign me up. A sit down with Jim Ross. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. Following that was Dr. Britt Baker and Chris Statlander for the Women's Championship. So this match, I mean, we talked about it. I didn't think it had a whole lot of build behind it. But this was one where I thought the crowd made up for it. And they, they took Statlander seriously. Like, they, they had a good match. There were a few parts where they, they were off on. There was, like, this mistimed stomp uh, and then a flatliner that just seemed to be they weren't quite on the same page for. But other than that, I mean, they, they had a fine match here. Uh, Statlander fought off the lockjaw and then lifted Baker on her shoulders and drops Baker onto the mat. Uh, Baker gets the heat after Statlander goes for a pendulum moonsault off the apron to the floor. This uh, This didn't work out well for her. Just plop goes right to the floor and then baker comes off the steps with a stomp and with statlander on the floor the count is being administered and orange cassidy is looking concerned he takes the glasses off and this you know when the glasses come off it's serious this is like taz taking off his glasses on that april 2004 episode of smackdown after he's just witnessed uh uh an attempted murder um so <laughs> I finished SmackDown, by the way. I now understand why April 15th was chosen. <laughs> I understand. I got it. Okay. Baker. Uh, so Orange Cassidy then takes the glasses off and screams at Chris Statlander, who immediately gets up and into the ring, which was a cool spot to use Orange Cassidy for. It was a really like, ridiculous idea. Here we have like our mute wrestler. <laughs> Um, who hasn't spoken in excitement for the entire two and a half years that we've seen him on TV, and he breaks character for this one moment. Uh, I thought it was ridiculous, and I thought it absolutely worked. It was like really sweet. The one time he like got excited was when he was concerned about his his friend Chris Statlander. So man, really nice. So all of this is leading to Baker stomping Statlander in the corner, climbs onto the second turnbuckle. And just waits. And it's like the whole crowd, it's like a light bulb collectively went off. They were like, oh shit. And she hits the Pittsburgh sunrise. And dude, this was, I'm not going to say it was the loudest reaction. But it was, on this show, this is not a slight to say it was top 10 of the night. Totally agree. Yeah. Maybe top 5. This was big. Maybe. This was a huge reaction. Uh, and as much confirmation. Maybe not that you're getting Adam Cole tonight. But this to me was the most clear cut that, okay, they are leading you in this direction very purposefully. 
or at the very least a shout out in the same way that Adam Cole through, you know, did the lockjaw in his final match, right? Um, I think it told you that the crowd was really anticipating the name or, or seeing Adam Cole or at least hearing him in talks with AEW. Um, so yeah, it was a really nice moment in the match. Led to a massive near fall. She, uh, Baker hit another stomp. And then as Statlander kicked out, Baker applied the lockjaw, getting the submission in 11 minutes and 34 seconds. Really worked well with the crowd. Um, to me, this one over-delivered. It was not one that had a big build to it. And my other thought was that, man, Baker has been so hot of late. Is this crowd just going to be very pro-Baker? This was a crowd that knew its role. Mm-hmm. They were going to cheer the baby faces. They were going to boo the heels. This made for a great dynamic for the match. Statlander looked very good. This was not like a loss that I think hurt her. And you got an enormous reaction for the final 30 seconds of this match. So I, I thought this was a, a big positive, And I, I didn't know what to expect from it. I thought it was a good match. You know, you outlined maybe some of the rougher patches there, but I don't think any of it was enough to affect the flow or the story of the match or the people's connections to the characters here. Um, this is a crowd that I think is very respectful and really wants its, it, the wrestlers there to do well. Um, it's a it's a crowd that has a great relationship with the company because the company delivers what the audience wants. And for that reason, you will not see many opportunities where they will turn on certain things unless i mean something warrants it for for instance but nothing here it's crazy how we never hear the term hijacking for any other company in the world there's literally no other company we talk about that with Mm -hmm. the crowd was really hot for this i mean they looked at it as a big match because i think baker is such a big star legitimately she is a big star and uh, i love the orange cassidy spot you know like part of me wonders like how long they can carry on like promoting like or at least like getting Britt baker to do like the heel um like tendencies to, as they go towards the match um but i also don't think they're really working against it you know ultimately like the crowd is going to in some cases favor her over the actual baby face in the match um but i i mean as long as they care i suppose it doesn't really matter it's difficult but when you can balance that it's great for a champion because it gives you all these different contenders that you can work with and the champion can work to the opponent and that can be that can be a great asset to have, but it, it is something like in a, not all crowds are going to be like this. And for many, like it's and, and I think they're kind of they're just going to go with the flow with how the audience takes to Britt Baker, depending on where they are. The issue is, you know, like I, I think ideally you want in a match somebody who wants to see the the baby face beat the heel. Right. And in all these cases where Britt Baker is leaning more towards playing a heel in the match. Um, I'm even wondering, like, if it's a Ruby Riot, like, are people going to want to see Riot or sorry, Ruby Soho win enough against Britt Baker? Alex Marvez interviewed Andrade and Chavo Guerrero Jr. They denied having anything to do with Pac's travel issues. They will face him Friday at Rampage. Yeah. Very simple. Steel cage match. The Young Bucks versus Penta. And Ray Phoenix for the AEW Tag Team Championship. The Lucha Brothers had one of the greatest entrances of all time as their theme was performed live by Muelas del Gallo. Very good. Very nice time. This entrance was awesome. Best entrance Just, on the show. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. It made them look like huge stars. Yes. Um they came out uh yeah. Don oh, Callis. Man. Nick Jackson's look keeps evolving. He's now got Hollywood Hogan, like half blonde, half dark beards. Um, it's 
outrageous. He looks like trash. It's great. Yeah. Don Callis is on commentary, and man, I don't even know where to start with this match. This was uh, one of the all-time great steel cage matches. I think this is going to be very, very high on match of the year lists. This was just an. This was damn near perfect. The Young Bucks are in control early on. Uh, Phoenix, <laughs> after avoiding getting choked by this chain from Matt Jackson, kicks off the fence into an arm drag and then follows with this double cutter. The Bucks miss with a, the, B, the BTE trigger. And then Phoenix avoids a Meltzer driver after getting kicked low by Matt Jackson. And again, like this crowd... They hated the Young Bucks. They loved the Lucha Brothers. They knew what the dynamic was, and it was going to intensify the match that much more. Brandon Cutler comes down, and he throws a bag into the cage. This was a hell of a throw by Brandon Cutler. Oh, yeah, it was. He wound up, and like I think he recognized, this is a tall cage. You have to remember everybody in AEW. So if you missed, I mean, that would have been quite embarrassing. But he got it on the first try, and um, it was a perfect throw. Wow. Could have torn his labrum, but it would have been worth it here. The bag lands perfectly, and Matt Jackson removes his shoe to put on the thumbtack shoe. The th- the thumbtack J. Yes. And Phoenix is laying there. He's about to be killed, and Penta plays shield, protecting his younger brother. And this is where the match just escalates that much further. And Matt nails Penta with a super kick with the tacks. The crowd's chanting assholes at them. Penta's face is all bloody through the mask. There's a point where the mask gets caught in the tacks and they have to like pull him off. Nick then delivers a halluva kick to Penta into the tacks. Matt then super kicks Phoenix. Nick follows with a poison Rana and then they deliver, they go for the BTE trigger on Penta, but Phoenix makes the save and this audience erupts. Phoenix does the one man comeback, incredible strikes here. Amazing. He, ta- he takes the shoe and hits Matt and Nick with the shoe and then hits a fire thunder driver on Matt for a near fall. This is already just in another league at this point. Nick is bleeding heavily from the tax. Matt and Pentagon then hit the simultaneous package pile drivers on the edge of the apron, and then they go at it, culminating with a top rope Canadian destroyer by Pentagon to Matt. There was part of me that was very fearful when I saw this cage that these two would think that we could do this off the top of the cage. I was so glad that they didn't, and this was equally as impressive. Dude, they, they did it off a goddamn ladder through a table. Like, I don't know if this is that much more dangerous than that one. Um, They did these series of kip-ups and super kicks. We get all four men down. Phoenix rotates with a spinning wheel kick, and they uh, hit the stomp into the package pile driver. Another save, and Pentagon points to the top of the cage. Phoenix says, sure. He climbs up. Nick stops Pentagon and Nick scales to the top of the cage with Phoenix, but Phoenix scales the top of the cage with the running penalty kick and then dives off the cage with, with a high cross and they hit their finish for the win in 22 minutes and two seconds. Uh, This, I don't care what your star system is. This maxed it out for me. This is probably my match of the year. I was in awe of this. 
I thought that every second of this, from the entrance to the body of the match, the finish, the post-match where Penta's with his family oh. and his daughter, this was wrestling perfection for perfection. me. This perfection. was among my favorite matches I have watched in I don't know how long. Easy, by far, my match of the show, and that is saying a lot on this show, but this was goddamn incredible. This was the type of match that like was going to take this from, I think, already a pretty legendary show. To like possibly all time, you know, the type of match that I think we'll be talking about for years to come. It was a very special one and one that I can't wait to rewatch after this match. Um, it's almost funny to think that there were concerns heading into this match about what the cage was going to limit of these guys. If there are any concerns about that, immediately they showed you that I think confinement actually made this match better. You ever catch a, a bee in a jar? Or a fly in a jar. Like, those things won't stop moving. It's bouncing around from corner to corner. You ever play squash versus playing, like, I don't know, uh, I don't know, golf? Like, they move just as fast, just within a small area. And it made this match incredible. Beyond, I think, just their, their incredible physical ability, they crammed in so many different interesting elements in this match that kept your 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 uh, attention throughout. You know, first of all, I think introducing their style within the cage itself. That was novel. The shoe, uh, when that was introduced, that kind of like filled a, a, a really good, you know, next five, ten minutes. Ripping of the mass, the blade job. And by the way, like that look of Pentagon through it was the amazing. When what he was, a visual. When he was stopping his brother from like taking the shoe, that's like that's that's straight out of a comic book panel. It was amazing. The Mexican standoff that they that they were doing with the super kicks and and then like the the chops and then the when they both kipped up and did the, did it in reverse. Like, oh yeah, that shit was brilliant. You know, um, Phoenix's incredible comebacks that are just like, like video game. Like, really, it's like that. That feels like an, under, an understatement, but that's the best way to describe it. That dive off the top, and then all the dressing before and afterwards. Like, this more than warranted. How long was this match, John? Twenty-two minutes. Like, they could have gone sixty. I mean, I, I have concern. I suppose at some point, but like they could at at this like pleasure level they couldn't have gone too long because this was bliss, you know, um, absolutely spectacular and just completely exceeded my expectations. And what's really cool about this and whether this is, you know, intentional or just the way things lined up is that that, that last match they had, that ladder match, it ends with the Lucha brothers winning and then Santana and Ortiz making their debut with the masks on laying out both teams and they're the team that, in theory, after this week, are waiting in the wings now for the Lucha Brothers. And the mm. Young Bucks, I mean, they have a huge program ahead. Um, th this was tremendous. And there's just, there's all these great directions to go with this loaded tag division. But this was, this was an all-timer. Um, an amazing, amazing match. Completely. Having to follow that was the Casino Battle Royale. Where are you just... In the terms of the concept, how has the concept grown on you? It, like their version of the Royal Rumble with the group pairing. Um, you know, I think a battle royal is is perfectly fine to put on a show. In fact, I think it, it it's a good idea to put maybe just a bit of a clusterfucky type of match, you know, as a come down uh, from something that was very emotionally investing. Um, I don't. What I found awkward about this one was them having to direct people's attention between the entrances and the people's first shots in the ring. 
Yeah, that I found was too much. And I don't. Yeah, even... It's like the crowd. It's like they're 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 tuned to pop, especially for those moments where the person is running out and charging at their foe, their mm-hmm. rival that we saw several of, and then we got to cut back to the entrance. Like, I still don't feel they, they've nailed that where you get that impact of just the surprise of who's next because, boom, it's the next one, the next one, the next one, and the next one. It worked for the first crop because you had everybody do their entrances and then they got into the match. When the match was going on, you had to make time for everybody's entrances, but the match was already still going on and they were doing their spots. So it was a little too much and a little too hectic to, to pay attention to. So the first five were the clubs, Hikaru Shida, Sky Blue, who, uh, did you see the match she had with Red Velvet? I have not. No, I heard good things, though. It, it got over, like, she got over super well. It was a cool moment where Tony Khan comes out and she, adds her here. She's from Chicago. We should yeah, know. from from Joliet, Illinois. And Emi Sakura, who had Lulu Pencil with her in her corner, the bunny, and Abaddon, who got a pretty good pop coming out. Like, not mm-hmm. someone that has been featured on Dynamite uh, for a while, but... Got a very good reaction, as did Sky Blue. Um, but they kind of just made her look like she started posing on the ropes and then gets dumped out by Abaddon, like, instantly. It was almost, it almost felt like it was, um, you didn't really capitalize on, like, the hometown favorite here. Many of the eliminations I thought were quite lacking, you know, whether just due to timing, maybe the camera not necessarily focus- focusing on them, or just, like, them feeling like nothing. And we also have to remember, this was supposed to be Julia Hart's spot, right? Yeah, so um, Sky Blue is out, and then Abaddon gets dumped out by the bunny. The Diamonds are next. Anna Jay, Kiara Hogan, Kylan King, Diamante, and Nyla Rose. And, of course, Anna Jay goes right after the bunny, stemming from the angle on Rampage Friday. Sheeta knocks out her teacher, Emi Sakura. Uh, Hogan gets eliminated. Rose then clotheslines Kylan King over. It's just fast and furious with the eliminations that... Didn't have a whole lot of impact. It just seemed like they were racing through eliminations and not wanting the ring to pile up with too many people. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I mean, it didn't really... It it was what it was, you know? I think a chance for people to get their entrances, appear on the show, and just kind of play, like, one small role when until you eventually get down to the final few. The Hearts featured Thunder Rosa, Penelope Ford, Riho, Jamie Hayter, and Big Swole. Um... We saw a hater eliminate Riho. Few noticed it, and the audience seemed a little upset she was gone so quickly. Diamante was eliminated by Big Swole, who was then tossed out by Hater, and the crowd was definitely chanting for Thunder Rosa as one of the, the favorites in the match. The last group was the Spades, featuring Ty Conti, Red Velvet, Layla Hirsch, Jade Cargill, who certainly this crowd took to as a star as she came out, and Rebel. Uh, Rebel tried to do the splits on the bottom rope. It was a little clunky, and then Red Velvet just dumped her out. Anna Jay super kicked the bunny off the apron. Ford then got uh, eliminated by Jay, and then Cargill tossed Hirsch to the floor with a military press. So we have a few people left in the ring, and the audience starts chanting Ruby Soho as they the countdown clock begins for the Joker. And with that... The clock hits zero, Rancid plays, and out comes Ruby Soho. And this was just so amazing to watch that you you look at this and there's the thinking of, oh, the surprise is out there. People, People know what it is. And it's like instead of treating it as, oh, the surprise is out, we've got to surprise them and trick them, it's looked at, well, the crowd really wants this. 
So we're going to give it to them. And it was awesome. It was fulfilling a crowd demand. But I also feel like they... I think there is something to be said, though, about like maybe leading a crowd into a direction and then not delivering, which I think happens maybe inadvertently sometimes in pro wrestling. But I felt like everything that took place here was very intentional. You know, she is the biggest free agent, I suppose, in the in the women's um, in women's wrestling uh, to come out of those WWE cuts recently. And her placement here, I felt, felt it felt very appropriate. I also have to say, like. The fact that she got that new name over through no promotion on TV, like, was, you know, a testament to the, the great videos that she um, got people, uh, she made, or, or um, you know, uh, got people to make for her. Uh, I, I suppose news sites, really, and, and the power of Twitter, I, I suppose, that alone in, in, in itself. But also, I think the, the viral clip of her being on that podcast with Lars Fredrickson, who, like, christened her with this name, so to, like knowing that she is a massive rancid fan like that's where ruby came from originally so i thought he would be at the show i thought we'd maybe see him like on on camera he might have been there could have been yeah but you know to to see her come out and not just under this name but to the song like you could tell the joy in her face she looks so happy oh and i was so happy for her especially like knowing how much struggle like her her whole faction had to go through in the other company so J- Jade Cargill eliminates Hater, then tosses Red Velvet out. Nyla Rose comes from behind, and she throws out Jade Cargill for a big reaction. And then Ty Conti eliminates Penelope Ford, and Rose knocks Ty Conti out. So our final three are Nyla Rose, Thunder Rosa, and Ruby Soho. Thunder Rosa pulls down the rope and drop kicks Nyla. So it's Thunder Rosa and Ruby Soho trading chops. Rosa goes for the guillotine. They're both on the edge of the apron. Rosa lifts her up onto the shoulders, and then Soho shoves her away and hits the soon-to-be-renamed Riot Kick, eliminating Thunder Rosa in 21 minutes and 53 seconds. Uh, The audience wanted Ruby Soho, they delivered her, and in 10 minutes, they made her feel like a star. I I was definitely like guessing by the end though because like Ruby would have been a, a topic obviously if she was in, in here but also Thunder Rosa I think would have been the other topic they didn't do th- do the thing where you know they basically left it to like one heel one baby face at the end they had their two top choices at the very end so I was definitely questioning at the end um and and them doing that um whole sequence on the apron was that much more effective to me because I wasn't exactly sure. And I was obviously, I think, along with much of this crowd, very happy when it was Ruby Soho that won a great little battle between the two towards the end. Uh, I certainly don't think the crowd has lost any favor for Thunder Rosa. Like when it's time for her to challenge Brit again, that I think will be still very hot. But now it's like you we talked about it before. You debut these massive debuts in these battle royals, uh, whether in the Joker position or in a rumble or something. You got to have them win. Otherwise, you start them off on a loss, and this was exactly the perfect thing to do. Perfect booking to introduce her. And I hope they don't just race to this title match. Like, I think Ruby Soho, like, give this one some buildup. Like, I think people will take to this as, like, a a real strong women's title match, but give some build to it first. Yeah. You know, the battle royal itself, I I, I don't think was without um, many criticisms. You know, like, much of what took place could have been a whole lot smoother, but they delivered by the end and and that's really all that matters ultimately chris jericho versus mjf the final fight and the classic y2j countdown clock appears on the screen and when it hits zero 
MJF comes out wearing this awesome robe, and this was a fantastic spot. They do the countdown clock, and then <laughs> it, it, in the graphic says Jericho's last match. So it was a countdown to Jericho's last match. It was so awesome. It was great. I mean, oh, just so like good. for for a second, your your crowd here in Chicago, where he debuted wow. using the countdown clock, thinking like, "Oh my God, he's going back to this clock once more." Uh, this was awesome. You know, it like by this point, it is a, a twenty plus year reference, but it's one that I think continues to get brought up as like the greatest debut of all time um, for. Maybe until Punk, honestly, but like one of the greatest debuts of all time, and it it it, it pays a lot of respect to your longtime fans. Every single fan in this arena got it. So Jericho comes out, and Billy Gray of Fozzy is out there playing uh, Judas, but unfortunately, it was like. <laughs> The crowd was like battling him to be heard, and it was like damn near impossible to hear the crowd singing because this was just so loud and distorting at times that and totally out of sync. You know, was, I don't, yeah. I don't know if there's a delay between like the guitar's audio from the camera to the speakers or what, but it this did not come across very well. I I think it was it would probably would have been cool to start this and then you break into the full you know studio version of it so the crowd can actually sing along. Um, it was a but, great idea. I love the, yeah. the the idea of it. It just the execution did not quite work. Like this this crowd, they're going to close ups, and these people are screaming to try and overcome the the sound of this. But it just was not. It was not happening. So the audience is on their feet when the bell rings, and as we said, like the goal of this was to create doubt. I think they did a great job, especially in this last week of people at least and. Being that it's Chris Jericho, I think buying into the idea that this this would be some kind of left field idea that Jericho comes out of this as one of the most talked about figures if he were to lose this. And I think the audience like at least had that that shred of doubt. I agree. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't say it was really all that high, but um, yeah, nonetheless, it was at least one percent. And that's all, all they need. They went through the crowd. Jericho grabbed a stanchion and dumped this onto MJF's head. That was Watch crazy. This thing. Like, I don't know what, what exactly, how much impact, what, you know, what there was here, but um, those things are like bowling balls. Those are heavy, dude. Um, MJF goes after the bad elbow and hits the heat seeker on the edge of the apron, but Jericho beats the count. And then MJF goes for an acai moonsault, missing Jericho and landing on his feet. And he did he did a picture perfect acai moonsault. And this is a guy who never leaves his feet, you know? So like the idea that I guess he he I mean he really is a multi-talented person. Jericho then lifts MJF and delivers an apron bomb. And dude, MJF's selling of his back, the lower back, the rest of this match was outstanding. Mm-hmm. I thought some of his best work of uh, just selling this apron bomb throughout the rest of this match. Uh, Jericho comes off the top. He's doing a lot of his classic spots in this. Uh, it looked like MJF was going for like a code breaker here, although they didn't identify it as that. He hit like the one knee and he's just screaming from his back being in pain. Jericho hit a lion salt. He tries for the top rope Hurricane Rana, but MJF counters with a sit out power bomb, but lands on his tailbone and is in further pain from the injury. Jericho then comes off the turnbuckle. He hits a code breaker. Ward lows out and gets fought off by Jake Hager 
And meanwhile, with the referee focusing on Hager and Wardlow, MJF hits Jericho with the bat and then the Judas effect. Aubrey Edwards comes down. She counts three. And right before three, Jericho gets his foot on the rope, but they ring the bell and they play MJF's theme and announce him as the winner. I think this crowd, you got enough of them that were like biting on this, that they were going to do some kind of like fuck finish. I, I guess I, I bid enough on it that they were going to do this rematch at some other point. Um, so it was, yeah, it was their way of creating uh, their, their, their big baby face reaction for Paul Turner, who came out here and the moment she spoke to Aubrey, that was like, that was also one of the biggest reactions of the night. Yes. In 2007, it was save us, Jericho. Well, it was save me. Paul Turner, who comes down and informs Aubrey Edwards. Just when Paul Turner starts talking to Aubrey, the crowd yeah. pops. Yes! Communication! Yes. Overruled! Dusty finish. And Justin Roberts announces the match will continue. MJF goes to the salt of the earth. The crowd's really hot at this point. Uh, Jericho tries to roll out. He breaks free. He gets the walls of Jericho. It looks like he was going for like the old lion tamer version, but just settles on the walls and MJF is forced to tap. Uh, it was 1947 in total, about a minute 25 after the restart. Um, I, I thought in particular, I thought MJF was really fantastic in this match. Mm-hmm. I don't know if like you hit the, the peak peak drama of a guy's career on the line, but no, the near fall so. spot, I think like it, it did work for this crowd. And then you got the big finish at the end. Yeah. I, I, I thought the use of the dusty finish was really good in this context because I thought it absolutely heightened the crowd's investment by the second time that they rang the bell. I agree. MJF was fantastic here. Great arm work, terrific selling, great heel mannerisms. I, I, I would agree also that it didn't hit that big false finish that I was expecting maybe in, in a, in a match like this, but you know, it was also a match that I thought was pretty entertaining throughout a very enjoyable story between the two. And let's also remember, this is like the third match, right? Between these two. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really get a, a big spotlight on it, but like in, in his big matches, like MJF has a pretty strong delivery rate. Yes. Like at a high level. Mm-hmm. I was waiting for the one spot of MJF in the corner, mouthing the words, I'm sorry, I hate you. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Yeah. So the inner circle comes out. They all celebrate in the ring as Judas plays. And this crowd does get to sing the song. So they got that in the end. So uh, a happy ending here for uh, Chris Jericho. And we'll see what happens. Like he's doing a lot of fozzy dates. And I wonder if he takes some time off. Like this has been a incredible stretch for him over the summer with that really since blood and guts in may it really has yeah yeah so i would expect it maybe an injury angle to come we go to this black and white video and it is darby allen with a body bag that reads best in the world and some arm that's just hanging out of this body bag that gets airlifted in a goddamn helicopter darby is sitting at the edge of the helicopter and the video ends with him leaping out of this thing, which demanded us to see the landing of this, but we did not. It cut out at the end. So what do you think this means? How do you analyze this? Um, <laughs> what does this mean metaphorically? You know, so the best in the world in the body bag, that's punk, I'm assuming. And then so 
it's he's being airlifted and uh darby is jumping out of the helicopter presumably to his own death so i can't uh, interpret this for you okay yeah i can't either but it looked cool looked cool cool. as hell sting walked out he wished darby good luck and then he walked backstage dude sting was sting didn't do a whole lot on this show but in some ways he did an amazing he was one of my favorite performers on this show he does just enough you know, yeah, like I love if, this guy. if he was like way too involved, uh, I think I would hate it. He just kind of comes out, gets, you know, helps him get some of that reaction and just like gives the spotlight up. Alan was not booed as he came out here. Like this is a very respectful crowd to Darby and they just wait on punk. And dude, the crowd was electric as out comes punk. And you know what? AEW signed CM Punk. But they didn't sign CM Trunks. We got tights. Yeah, we got pants. We've got like long boys on CM Punk, which is just an odd sight to see. Um, I don't know. Uh, What what did you think? I'm not the post wrestling member to give a a review of this, but I, I, I... it was fine. It will take. It, it, it was. It was an adjustment. Seeing we'll take some the... getting used to. Yeah, I think in my mind I had pictured. Okay, this is going to be CM Punk of seven years ago versus modern day Darby Allen, uh, and the pants admittedly kind of threw me off, but obviously it didn't take away anything from the match. So everyone went nuts for like this opening collar and elbow tie up where Punk gets sent down. And gives the look on his face, and everyone is like tweeting out the gif of Bret Hart and Sean Waltman from 1994. Like, pretty much verbatim is what they did here, which was a really cool uh, callback to <laughs> 27 years ago. Wow, that's really neat. It was very neat. So, there's chance for both early on, and it's like they're very much working this as just they're sizing up one another. It's like a slow start, but very engaging stuff. Uh, Allen rocks him with a coffin splash, and then Punk responds by sending Darby into the corner with this hard Irish whip, and Darby like just breaks his spine going off the post and landing on the floor. Yeah, I mean, um, that's one I haven't seen Brett do. No, no, he did not do that one. Uh, Darby used a code red on Punk. Allen was then crotched on the top turnbuckle. Early on, Punk teased the GTS, and Darby instantly popped off the shoulders and went right to the floor, acknowledging he nearly got caught right away before the match was even really underway. I and really liked like Darby's kind of like um, evasion, or at least like acting as if he was like really scared of the GTS. Like he's got he's got very great explosivity in all his all his moves, of course. But even as he's like you know doing some of the feeling out process at the start of the match, like he. He he was kind of like a cat, you know, that just like, I don't know, um, heard a loud noise, like the way he ran away from the GTS. So Punk then catches him with the GTS. This is like midway through the match. But Allen from the from the impact rolls to the floor and Punk's just watching him. He doesn't want to win this way. Allen ends up getting in at the count of nine. So the match continues. Punk hits the flying knee in the corner and calls for another GTS. Darby blocks it with these big elbow strikes. And this is when the crowd starts booing Darby. And Punk then rolls to the floor and he takes the Tope Suicida. Yeah. 
This is like a 42-year-old man saying, you know what, this crate challenge, let's do it. You don't think they tra- train this at Rufus Sport? Um, probably on Fridays after sparring. Who would be doing it? Um, pe- one of the Sergio Pettis, Pettis maybe. Yeah. Or Anthony Pettis. Uh, either one. Uh, Darby follows with a swanton off the top to the floor. And then it's Darby that makes the GTS uh, signal uh, from the top, but misses the coffin drop. And Punk is giving this look that he outsmarted Darby. But then Darby tries to catch him with a crucifix. Punk then rolls out, attempts the GTS. It's countered with the Last Supper for a two count. And then Darby lands on his shoulders and Punk moves and hits the GTS to pin him in 16 minutes and 39 seconds. What I really enjoyed about this was that this was like this chess match between two completely different styles. And it was like this tug of war of I'm going to make you wrestle my style and each going back and forth and not wanting to get like caught in quicksand by wrestling their game. I thought this was like a really cool match for the way it was laid out. Very different from everything else on the show. And I was really impressed with Punk for a guy that, I mean, as he has let on, has, I mean, as much preparation as you've done, whether it be on a television set or whatnot, um, I was very impressed. Sorry, my uh, my, my headphones got uh, knocked out here. Uh, okay, yeah, no, uh, it was it was a very good match, you know, for a man's first match back officially in seven years. I thought this was really great. Not only did he look very much in shape, I don't really feel like he looked all that different from where he was seven years ago. Now, is this the best match that I think Darby Allen and CM Punk can have? I think they're capable of better, but that just kind of goes to show you like how how much I think the, of the both of them because I thought this was really good, and I feel like Punk will continue to look even better in the weeks and months to come when that wrestling cardio increases as he gets acclimated to that this very modern style. The clash of styles that you bring up is I, I think also really interesting because I mean I don't know if you have a member of this roster like maybe aside from like Ray Phoenix or, or something like that that's as fast as Darby Allen, so. Of CM Punk at 42 years old coming back from a seven-year layoff trying to compete with that was certainly very ambitious. And so I think he made a good stylistic choice in being the guy to slow down the match, slow down Darby Allen. He like he employed a whole lot of headlocks here um in order to kind of like thwart that style. It was interesting, I think, because it almost kind of made Punk come across as a bit of the heel, the guy who was dominating the whole match, and then Darby is coming back with these like razor fast comebacks. Um I'm curious to see Punk in more of an underdog role, like against a bigger opponent, like a, a I don't know Wardlow or something like that, because because I think that's when he'll re- he'll really shine. But man, for Darby, like he proved here that he's really just a next level performer. You know, I have to imagine somebody tuning into AEW for the first time for a Punk match, like would have been impressed with him. Yeah, and this was like they did such a great job of of handling Darby in this. He felt like such a big star at, just by being involved with this. This was hardly just this guy was, you know, thrown in there as Punk's victim. Uh he got over great in this match. Um afterwards Sting comes down and first he shakes hands with Punk. He checks on Darby. Punk and Darby shake hands. So the crowd, it's just they're embracing both of them. Um, it was a, it's just a great whole presentation, I thought, especially the, the post-match on top of it. Yeah, very much so. Really good debut. And, and I, like- I, could, I could see the next Punk match uh, actually like 
whether it be a six man with these two mm-hmm. or teaming with Darby, either or. I could totally see them like now they work together. Everybody has friends in AEW. Everybody's got to be a part of a faction. You know, as long as like Punk is not a part of the Hardy family office or something, I think I think it, it's cool. Yeah, six mans. Why not? Look at look look at that stable. It's Darby Allen, CM Punk, and Sting. Like, could you have pictured that? No, no, I would not have predicted this being a, a potential stable. Uh, but here we are. Like, what, what's a car? What's a car ride like that? Like, I feel like Punk and Allen would really get along. Like, you know, but like. Is Sting driving? Is Sting does Sting get to pick the radio? What's on the radio? You know, like, like I would love to that? contrast all their their playlists. Yeah. So following that, our semi main event: Paul White versus QT Marshall. <laughs> Paul White's first match since July of 2020. Um, I I am not going to rag on this. I was fine with this being where it was. It was three minutes and 10 seconds. White destroyed Nick Camaroto and Aaron Solo. He blocked a diamond cutter. He then grabbed Solo. He chopped him. Knockout punch and spear to Camaroto. And then chokeslam QT. And it was over. There was nothing wrong at all with the match itself. What was entirely wrong about it was it's inclusion on this card and its placement in particular on this card i mean i feel like AEW doesn't necessarily do the whole buffer match thing but this was completely 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 a buffer match between the real set my main and the main event it was there and i think people i had forgotten that it was even on this card um no you know it was like there's there's a general level of buzz in the arena but i don't think anything was ever heightened i think most of the audience was just waiting for this to be over to get to the main event um, very quick and also very pointless. So I, I don't know why it had to be on the show. It worked against it because I think if this was actually on a TV or something, uh, or something smaller, lower stakes, it would have actually been a benefit to that product. Instead, you're coloring like the Paul White, you know, introduction. I feel bad for the man, like because clearly he's gotten into shape. You know, he's wor- probably worked really hard for this one moment, but you're coloring it with a lot of negativity. What if instead Paul White fought? A car. Uh, sign me up on top of Cobo Hall. Uh, I'm thinking in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, 17 years ago. <laughs> I haven't watched the show yet. So, <laughs> wow. So yeah, I I really do feel like the introduction of Paul White here is like really all wrong. How I picture him is how I think you gradually work your way to Sting coming in for um you know that singles match. I think you associate him as the muscle for somebody else. And then gradually, like, you refresh people's ideas of what Paul White is uh, as, as a pro wrestler. And then you put him into a match. This, against QT Marshall, like, had negative interest from, from the get-go. Yeah, I think, I think people could look at this as, like, the weakest thing on the show. It really didn't have a whole lot of substance to it. It was just, again, it was three minutes. Um, they then plugged Dynamite. We got a promo from John Moxley saying it's his hometown and in his hometown of Cincinnati, they bury bullies in the ground and told Minoru Suzuki, welcome to the jungle. Great little short 30-second promo. Excellent. And probably improvised it, this guy. Ruby Soho will be on the show. And then Malachi Black cut a promo telling Dustin Rhodes he doesn't want him to be angry because you're too predictable when you are. He listed off the nightmare family members he's taken out, including your baby brother, who still hasn't returned. And then the guy just walks into the shadows at the end of this. Cool little promo from Black. Yeah. 
And the main event, Kenny Omega, Christian Cage for the AEW Championship. Um, they had a hell of a show to have to follow at the end of this. And again, like this was like you did not have a crowd that was just getting into yes chance. I'm sure that was a question that many had when this was when this was reported that this would be going on last. Again, this was a crowd that was not here to create any kind of problems for the matches or the performers because hey, in another setting with this expectation and you knew that this crowd is as savvy as any of them uh would have been just at the edge of their seats wanting to get to Danielson. I agree. Yeah, I think it's a crowd that's very uh sympathetic to, you know, the the hard work of the performers and really Kenny Omega versus Christian Cage is not something you you can um you should be upset about. Like it, that is a treat and this was a treat. Yeah, I thought, you know, with all of those things, they had a really strong main event here. Uh, Cage early on is thrown into the steps. We've got Callus at ringside. They set up a table and Cage gets knocked to the floor and Omega went for the, the moonsault off the guardrail. And on the first attempt, he slipped and just tried to play it off and then landed it. And, and then he went to the camera and said, I meant to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I meant to do that. Uh, Omega, the story of this match was... Kenny Omega is going to face this guy who came out of retirement this year, and I am bound and determined to send him back into retirement and probably never walk again. Uh, it, it was, yeah, it was definitely a lot of risk. You know, you know, sometimes we take it for granted that this man is on, on, on his second career. Yeah. And he's 47. Yeah, it's crazy. It really is. So, uh... Omega lands his V-trigger to the back of the head, and then he starts hitting Snapdragon suplexes as they're bringing up the past neck issues of Cage. He tries to suplex Cage off the apron through the table, but Cage holds on to the rope. Then Cage turns around. He wants to go for the kill switch off the apron. Omega stops that, and he teases the one-winged angel off the apron. Cage escapes that, and it ends with a spear by Cage, sending Omega and himself through the table, which got a big reaction from the two. And it looked like Christian might've even cut uh, like by his rib cage. So Omega gets his knees up on a frog splash attempt. And then Omega connects with his ripcord V trigger cage recovers. He applies this clover leaf and Don Callis signals for Carl Anderson and doc gallows to run down cage fights them off. Omega misses and or, sorry. Gallows gets hit with a V trigger when Omega misses cage and Cage hits the kill switch for our big near fall of the match. Survives that, then goes for a super kill switch off the turnbuckle, but Omega stops it by raking the eyes and hitting a one-winged angel off the turnbuckle, and this keeps Christian down at 21 minutes and 19 seconds. This was a very good match. Christian is incredibly underrated, and he looked amazing here. You know, it's the fact that you you bring up that he has all these issues, uh, the, the, these neck issues, and the fact that he's forty seven is almost lost on me because he looked very much like, like, like in prime form. Honestly, like this probably was one of the better, maybe one of the best Christian matches that I've seen. Uh, it's a lot of pressure. It, this match had a lot going against it. If if we have to really look back, number one, the Hangman Page thing. Okay, by the time this match started, everybody knew what the deal was. That wasn't even a question. But having to follow CM Punk versus Darby Allen on this show in Chicago, like that's uh, we all know the reason why that had to occur, right? For the post match. But I mean, you're putting Christian Cage 
Kenny Omega is like I think you you know he's he he's very much I would say expected to perform at this level. But you're talking about something like you're stack really stacking the odds, and you're putting a whole lot of expectation on this 47 year old who has uh, come back from neck injury and is on his second career. And I thought he absolutely delivered. It was a very well paced match, very well executed, very technically sound as you would expect from both of these two. I think it did suffer from a crowd that was a bit tired. You know, this was like four hours into the show. Didn't, to me, quite reach the heights of your prior Kenny Omega title defenses, but it was incredibly enjoyable. And I thought, like, you know, it was a very worthy, satisfying addition to this card. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think it was at the level of the Rampage match, but th- that was a real spectacular match. And coming, like, just short of that still puts this in, like, a really strong standing. Like, I enjoyed it. I didn't think it dragged at, at any points. They didn't go out there with this idea that we've got to do 35 minutes for a main event. 21, they totally didn't overstay their welcome. I thought Christian was very impressive in this match, as was Omega. And you, you got a really spectacular finish. Like, mm-hmm. Christian taking a one-winged angel on yeah. the second turnbuckle uh, looked great. Um, mm-hmm. So a big win for Kenny Omega. And then we get to everything that followed it. The elite come out to celebrate, and they beat down Christian. Jurassic Express runs down. They, too, are beaten up, and the crowd starts chanting yes. Omega addresses the crowd. He doesn't care about their hometown heroes. No one is at my level. The only people with a chance to beat me are either not here, retired, in the big line, or already dead. And with that, the lights go out and Adam Cole comes out. And this was like a legitimate surprise pop, I think, for people who were totally expecting Danielson here. Instead, Adam Cole comes out in an all elite shirt, resurrected. All elite baby shirt. Yes. Um, Cole stands up to Omega, but then super kicks Jungle Boy, embraces the elite and the Bucks lay the biggest kiss on his cheek. Dude, dude, this this visual was amazing. It was so, so great. So, so great. Like, the, the, the pop off the top was great. But the super kick was re- what really cemented it. Because I think, again, people are expecting Brian. Um, having Cole out there is, is awesome on its own. But it's not Daniel Bryan. But having Cole as a heel... And having Daniel Bryan, like Cole as a heel to me is far more interesting than Cole as a baby face, even though eventually I think he'd be a great baby face. But having him not just be a heel, but be a heel to join the elite, his best friends in in the Young Bucks, his former Bullet Club stablemates in Kenny Omega and, and you know, uh, former Bullet Club alumni, I suppose, in Gallows and Anderson. Like that is so incredibly perfect, completely reignites that group, no matter how many titles they've lost. And sets up some for some great feuds down the future. Okay. All the focus on like ticket sales for Cincinnati, the rating on Wednesday, all of that stuff. Dude, I want I want a really great being the elite. Oh Adam my God. Cole being reintroduced. The, the, chemi- the chemistry between like I don't know how many people watch being the elite when Cole is on, but like the chemistry he has with the Bucks, I mean not just like in ring, but like as they're filming backstage skits is is remarkable. So yeah, I I, I certainly hope. like they need to show the seance, you know. They they should they should do an episode where they bring him back from the dead, and it's still 2017. None of this has happened. What? Like he's he's being brought back at the time that he was killed for being the elite. Okay, and then how do they get him to the present? 
Well, that's that's for them. I'm not giving them all the ideas. Wow, they can, they can figure out how to bring them back to the present. What what was but, what I what what I found interesting was like when Kenny like did the you know either alive or not retired or dead like making reference to the BTE thing. I I mean it wasn't necessarily a line that I think elicit you know was meant to elicit a huge reaction from the crowd. But I was curious to know how many people in that audience got it, and I think plenty. You're talking about the same crowd, probably very similar crowd to like the ones that showed up at an all in. Like, you know, we're talking about a crowd that packed that arena, same arena, just from BTE. So they probably all understood it. And it's also one of those lines that, again, for like an inside choke, it's like, if you didn't get it, it still makes sense. It's just it's just a throwaway insult. Yeah. So Cole does his story time indicating no one is going to stop us. And Kenny goes to give the farewell when Flight of the Valkyries takes over the arena. I think it's Ride. Ride of the Valkyries. Oh, I'm thinking of a. Uh, wasn't Flight, it uh, Flight of the Concords? That's that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> Flight hey, of the Concords should have played. So so I mean, much of at least some of the um, expectation from our our Zoom chats is it was a final countdown. Um, did that? Do you, did you did you have one ex- preference or another? Um, I mean, it was. Uh, Either or. I mean, it was like, I think either one. The, the the issue with like Europe is that like it's a really long song to have to wait for. Like to me, that's like a cool entrance <laughs> to play at the end of the night. But if they were standing in the ring for like four minutes until like the big part, like it's, it's you, like you have to almost like edit the song for your purposes of a wrestling entrance that is it's, it's a guy showing up as a surprise and you know, you, you got to walk out within 15 seconds. That's a very good point. I think it works for ROH, but like, you know, it works if you're going straight to DVD, but on broadcast, it's probably more expensive than like, you know, this, whatever, um, version of ride of the Valkyries was maybe, maybe like if he closes the show, it's like they play that for the live crowd off air, I suppose. Yeah. And get away with it. So out comes Brian Danielson, uh, obviously inspired by Brock's return because they got the exact same hair. Uh, yeah, the same man bun. Yeah. And he comes out, and he aligns with the baby faces, and they attack the elite. We got Danielson nailing Nick Jackson with the Busaiku knee, and then a big stare down to close the show, and this crowd was just, uh, they were, it was just pure bliss for this crowd that got to see everything on this show. It was just AEW chant, and, and really that was Yeah, that was really telling, that it was an AEW chant. Mm-hmm as this was happening. Like that was, that was a very notable moment it, of the show. If it wasn't going to be an AW chant, it would have been a Tony Khan chant. Cause this was this crowd showing their gratitude for what they gave this audience tonight. They put a lot into this show for them and they didn't have to, this show was already sold out. I mean, obviously like, you know, we we're talking about pay-per-view, so they needed to like put something big on it, but to deliver surprise after surprise, after surprise in the form of like Ruby Soho, um, Danielson, Cole, like, these are all things they could have paced themselves and saved for another show. Uh, and they dumped it all out for this one night. And that, to me, makes the show completely legendary. Um, before we go to the phone calls, uh, one big note that they did make a mention of is that the next pay-per-view has been moved to Saturday, November 13th. So it avoids UFC 268, which is the big show at the Garden, and the uh, the Canelo Alvarez-Caleb Plant fight. So I thought that was almost... 
like you had to at, at that point once those two big events were happening the same night. And it was the smart move to make. But I imagine logistically, it's not like you just snap your fingers and suddenly it's like they've got to run St. Louis a week later. It's the live rampage. It, like all of this stuff can be done. It's just it's when you're when you've got all of these dates booked and you're putting tickets on sale. I mean, it becomes uh, tricky to like move a pay-per-view a week, but the the right call to make for AEW because uh, in theory, if that's if that's Omega and Danielson, I mean, that's that's going to threaten this show. Certainly, absolutely. So November thirteenth is presently at least two months away. You know, potentially two months to build to that. Arthur Ashe is when John uh, September twenty second, twenty second. So that is two weeks away. So I'm just trying to look at like what sort of big tentpole events that they have coming up. But, you know, it's a lot of weeks of Rampage, a lot of weeks of Dynamite that I'm sure they can make feel, you know, they're trying to maintain this million rating. And um, simply with the roster that they have, it's they're in very good position. Do you think, um, given the fact that Newark was originally going to be the war games, I don't I don't know if I see them doing war games, but you really do get the sense that they're building up this like, elite versus like these four baby faces. Yeah. Um, like, I think it's a lock. Obviously you're not going to be able to keep Danielson out of the ring until the pay-per-view. I think, I think they're going to go right to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they feel Newark. I mean, that's, it's like 11,000 or so tickets that they've sold and that's going to need a big show. Um, and maybe, maybe just you do an eight man or something like that. And that's Danielson's first match. It's not a bad idea at all. Yeah. That, that would certainly be a hook for that show. Home run show. I thought I thought this was like a really classic pay per view. I think it's um, going to be very very well remembered. Um, I think it's going to break their their pay per view record. Um, full gear. I mean, is typically that's been a tougher one for them during like football season and such. But uh, nonetheless, it's like man, they they feel red hot coming out of this show, and now it's like riding this and into the fall, which is going to be it's going to be really really intriguing to look back and see what what this night means in historical context for the company and what it what level it takes the company to like all the big pieces are now in place and now it's time to play the play all of these pieces on the board yeah yeah uh do you think we see any reaction from wwe Uh, like how that's it i mean i think it will be a very interesting game once some of these deals come come due and how aggressive WWE is in wanting, like, this is all one-way traffic. And there is a perception issue now that I think WWE will want to combat. And and they have the resources to do so. And the question will be, like, you know, throwing money at a lot of these, like, big-name free agents once once contracts come due. And for the AEW talent, like, they'd be foolish not to play both sides. And mm-hmm. th- there, there is leverage there for... This is... This is an amazing time for performers. It is. Yeah. And on top of that, like, I'm really curious to know what sort of deal Brian has struck, you know, because we know people when they come into AEW, they're often able to wrestle anywhere else. And much of the rumor with his WWE negotiation is wanting to work New Japan. Do we start to see some news about that, you know, in the weeks to come? I I, I would be stunned if Brian does not do New Japan. Like, that seems like that has been... And where else? big big plan uh for the whole time so yeah i think that's that's certainly going and i'm sure that was an incredibly attractive option with with aew the fact that they now have that that relationship 
Absolutely. Uh, at this point, we want to go to some of your phone calls from our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso patrons tuning in live. So if you're in the Zoom room, please raise your hand. Let's go to first the forum and see what you guys voted out of 10. Do you have a, a prediction, John? Tops nine. 9.4. Wow. That's wow. incredibly high. All right. Let's start off here with Jason Hagholm. Jason, are you there? Hey, Way. Hey, John. Uh, how are you guys doing? Hey, doing very well. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Well, uh, hello, Way. Hello, John. And I guess as John Shirt says, uh, Merry Christmas, especially if you're a wrestling fan, because uh, tonight felt like Christmas morning, especially, you know, seeing all the new toys that AEW has to play with, whether it's a CM Punk, a Ruby Soho, and more importantly now, a Adam, uh, Adam Cole and, uh, Dan- and Brian Danielson. I have to get that back into my lexicon of saying Brian Danielson. But all in all, as you guys said, the show was definitely a home run grand slam. Uh, one of the best pay-per-views I think I've seen in quite a while. But just the excitement overall of like the philosophy that AEW has. It seems like everyone's just going there for the freedom it, that they're getting treated, you know, getting the breaks that they wanted. And you know, as you guys are kind of alluding to towards the end before you started taking calls, it's like WWE's mentality, I think, in a way has to change when it comes to renegotiations because it's like I heard that, you know, Cole, one of the things Adam Cole had was his Twitch and WWE isn't liking that. So I feel like they need to make the changes. And the other thing is now I look at this roster, it's obviously unbelievable. But to me, AEW is what I wanted TNA to be back in like 2007 and 2008, where they had the financial backing. They had the talent, but the creative wasn't there. And that's just not the case right now for me with what AEW is. They have the creative. They have great minds, both young and uh, old. And they just they just right now are have, have had their breakthrough moment where they really – this feels kind of like watching uh, Bash at the Beach 96 where WCW really broke through. And this edition of AEW All Out in 2021 – like AEW is definitely on the radar for not only just the professional wrestling world, but even the sports fan landscape. Like I saw a lot of sports fans talking about AEW in a way I haven't seen anyone talk about a secondary uh, professional wrestling company. That part is, is very interesting. And thank you for bringing that up, uh, Jason. And thank you for the call, but it is that mainstream recognition that really is, you know, the thing that is uh, that any company is, is, is looking for. Uh, And it's a, it's a move like this one that I think puts them in good position for something like that. Punk, I feel, certainly was like the biggest name that they could have had, you know, and he got a lot of press and we saw like, you know, on ESPN or doing various interviews and things like that. John, do you think like we'll get similar reaction for Brian? I think so. I think like Brian Danielson, I think is like, um, you know, it, it's a different appeal that, that, than Punk and that long absence, but I think he is every bit the intriguing figure that has been on national television all of these last seven and a half years and in a very uh, prominent spot. Um, while we're doing this, they are uh, making different talent available to the media. So I'm just going to go through some notes here. This comes courtesy of Denise Salcedo, who is uh, covering this in Chicago. So Danielson... Uh, some of his quotes here says he wants to work in new Japan and also go over to Mexico says he loves Vince McMahon. They have a great relationship, but Vince can sometimes be overprotective of him. He said, uh, Danielson also says the way AEW honored Brody Lee also influenced his decision. He did some creative in WWE, but he prefers just sticking to the wrestling. 
says it would be difficult to have Brie Bella in AEW. She is happy in WWE and has a lot of business connections there. And that it was an internal battle because he did love working in WWE, but he wanted one part of his life to be wild. Hence what brought him to AEW. One part of his life to be wild. Okay, so he's going to be wild. uh, Yeah, Adam Cole um, as well spoke here. Um, said he had an excellent four-year experience with WWE, but he knew for a while he wanted to come to AEW, and it was a fairly easy decision. His talk with Vince McMahon went great, and they talked about several things, and he did not have a bad experience with him. And uh, put over Tony Khan, Adam Cole said his mom is the only person he's had time to speak with tonight, and then added that uh, he's excited to be here. And Tony Khan added that Adam Cole was the one that struck fear in him during those Wednesday night wars. Oh, there you go. Let let this be a lesson to anybody out there, okay? Like, um, I don't doubt that both of these men are, are very genuine in their appreciation of their time at the WWE, but you never want to burn your bridges, okay? When When you only have two really, like, major competitors throwing money at you to negotiate with, you never, ever want to burn your bridges. So um, I'm happy to hear that for the both of them. Let's go up next to Hanzi. Hanzi, welcome. Hanzi. What's going on, Wei? Uh, what's up? Uh, yo, <laughs> yo uh, dude, I, I have no idea how to react to like one of the greatest pay-per-views that I've ever, I ever seen. And it was actually like a good thing because this past week with all the news with Daphne, like I wasn't really in a mental space. And that's why I kind of didn't call in because I didn't really want to burden you guys with like my mental drivel, but this kind of like picked my spirits up a little bit. And uh, I thought it was like one of the best reviews. I was wrong about the Lucha Bros and Bucks match. I didn't like like that the Bucks beat them on, on, uh, on uh, the, the Rampage or the Dynamite match. So they over delivered. Like, I think I've been beaten down by uh, so many cage matches in WWE that, that, that it, the cage match doesn't phase me when they announce it, right? So, like, if, if KMR is going to be like that, then I, I, I'm all for that. So, that was a match of the night for me. That might be the match of the year. And uh, the Punk, people think that Punk was uh, kind of gassed out a little bit, but I don't know. I thought they, they told a good story. I was satisfied with it. I thought it was a, a, re- a really, really good, like, old guard versus new guard guy. And, of course, like, the ending, Um, you know, I knew that, it'd have to be Daniel Bryan and, uh, and Adam Cole or someone like that would be coming out. And I glad that we got both of them. Like, you know what I mean? You kind of know about that, but I still think the highlight for me still with even all of that and the game changing stuff that happened, Minoru Suzuki coming back, man, that was fucking great. Um, and, uh, I gotta say that like right now, I feel like, like it's back in 96 again, where, uh, we didn't get nitro live. And after seeing the Hogan heel turn, I had to settle for, Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson versus the Smoking Guns on a Raw when we didn't have that, and now we gotta wait till Wednesday to you know, and then tomorrow we gotta we we gotta wait for Nia Jackson, Charlotte Flair tomorrow. You know what I mean? It's like it's like I wish they had a Monday show right now because I need I need to know what's gonna happen. So at least that that's like making me you know uh, uh, more anxious to the, the to the new thing. So long live professional wrestling, and uh, you guys did a good job, man, and you guys captured the mood and everything. I thought the interview was awesome, and I, I thank you guys for your coverage. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Hanzi. Appreciate it. I, I uh, do not want any more hours on Monday night, please. <laughs> well, Hanzi can tune into BTE. That that I'm sure Brandon Cutler is uh, feverishly editing right now. Um, let's go up next to uh, Ron, who's on his mobile phone. Ron, are you there? 
Hey guys, uh, I'm actually in a 7-Eleven right now to get some food, but overall, it was an awesome show. Um, I, okay. like, a lot of said, it ran true, but um, one thing I really want to let you guys know is that somehow where I was at, we had a QT section. Okay, okay. so you said, so, sorry, one more time. Where yeah. I was at, they had a QT section. Mm-hmm. These guys were just cheering for him like throughout the whole match with Paul White. And it, <laughs> awesome. It was just kind of most hilarious thing I've had so far tonight. But overall, the great show on the cage match was awesome. It's my show match of the night. And oh, yeah. In the um, little promo that um, Brian Danison did after the show, which I don't know any good at the Twitter or internet yet. It was pretty awesome, and hope you guys have to check it out when you get chances. Uh, uh, care, to, care to summarize the, the gist of what he said for people who um, haven't seen it? Stuff like he said in the little um, like post smash, I guess he looked scrub and he did like um, thinking WWE. He said he, you know, he got some booze. He still wants to give him thanks for himself, but. He really wanted to still be a wrestler. And right. that's one of the reasons why he left. Um, also, Larry King, too, AEW, plus with all this like established young guys who basically were the original that brought up the whole thing, he's very excited to like join in and you know, okay. just start wrestling again. Cool. Very cool. Thank you very much for the call, Ron, and uh, enjoy 7-Eleven. Let's go up next to Dave. Dave, are you there? Uh, yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can. What's up, Dave? Not much, not much. Um, I guess, uh, so I actually switched to Double Double tonight just because I love the show so much. So I've been a patron since you guys started, following since uh, the uh, the other days there. But I just, uh, so I guess first I want to... Uh, Thank you, John, and uh, the crew, and uh, you know people like Nate for uh, keeping me engaged whenever I didn't have AEW because uh, I started in 2016 watching again, and uh, just uh, you know I, I enjoyed WWE at first, but I haven't watched it for the last few years, so I've just been listening to your podcast really for uh, probably the two years until they finally. Uh, got AEW up and running and uh I guess ever since and, and I never really got to see Punk live um so I wasn't a, a follower of uh the product whenever he was big so uh ever since he joined it's just been uh the most fun I've ever had watching wrestling so so so, so are you a newer AEW fan uh no no so I um I really only knew about WWE or only watched it until Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho. And then wow. that's, that's what got me to start watching some of the other stuff. And then, um, you know, I'm a huge Kenny Omega fan um, and, uh, you know, enjoyed watching him. And then, so I've been following AEW since it started, but um, cool. I took some time off during the pandemic because I just felt, I felt kind of weird watching it because I didn't necessarily agree with, wrestling continuing through some of that period you know just because of the safety risks but 
Yeah. Well, let, let, let's let's keep it to maybe the thoughts on the show itself tonight, uh, Dave. Do you, oh, yeah. Do you have any um like tell me tell me your 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 one question or comment about it? Yeah, yeah. Sorry for rambling a little bit. Um, no problem. I mean, I don't know. I just I just loved the show. I don't know that I could have picked a match of the night. I mean, the tag team wrestling was great. I guess that, and then just uh, all the new entrances and seeing just seeing the wrestlers. So uh, just like everybody enjoying themselves so much, really, was my highlight, I guess. It was just fun. Yeah, we haven't really talked as much about it, but it was a phenomenal atmosphere on top of everything else on the the show. I mean, it was, I mean, a home run in a lot of ways for AEW. And I think one that we will look back on uh, and and see like where this this wave uh, takes them uh, on television and and beyond as well. Like they have, as I've said several times, like they have set themselves up for, you know, a lot of big things that this fall and a lot of ambitious plans that they're moving forward with. Thank you very much for the call, Dave. Let's go up next to Kevin. Kevin, are you there? Yeah. How are you guys? Hey, Kevin. good, Kevin. What'd you think of the show tonight? Uh, I'm old enough and I remember the stampede pay-per-view, which a lot of people consider one of the greatest of all time. This, this, in terms of a North American pay-per-view, I have to say this is probably the best I've ever felt after. Like, it was just, you know, you had the Minoru Suzuki moment for the classics. You had, I mean, you kind of knew, I after the Punk Allen was third on, you knew that Brian was coming up. But Adam Cole was just a genuine surprise. Ruby was a genuine, like a genuine surprise to me. And just the way that they brought out Dan, Brian Daniels, and I got to get used to that too. I'm so used to Daniel Bryan. Um, but it was just to me, this was this is my favorite North American pay-per-view of all time. I mean, I think there's probably some Japan New Japan shows that could probably be up there as well. Uh just from top to bottom, all that that tag match was incredible. I agree with you, John. Um, I guess my one question is out of this, and I'll I'll just hang it because I know there's a lot more. Where does CM Punk go after this? I'll leave it there. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Thank Kevin. You, Kevin. I think in the in the immediate future, I think they've really aligned like Darby and Sting to do you know some some trios matches or straight tag with, with Darby. I think like you can probably do that on on TV if you know you build it up to something you know a couple of weeks notice. Uh, next major opponent though, I mean that's where you know the next heel. Like um, to me, like Jericho MJF is done now. I for a lot of reasons I like MJF and Punk. Um, yeah, that 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 one comes to mind immediately. But maybe there is, you know, a a prominent name. I mean, it's it's not as though there's any shortage of potential opponents you can go to. It's just you know, take it, making your choice, and then then running with it. You do have a, a fair amount of time now. You have two months until your next pay per view. So, yep, several people seem to be lined up. You know, several of the the heels that that are in the company seem to have programs already lined up. You know, we think uh, Malachi Black. You know, he's got the Cody match coming up. Um, uh, you know, yeah, MJF, I guess, would be a clear name unless they're going to continue to do something with the inner circle and the pinnacle. But, you know, um, we talk about Miro and possibly a rematch with, with Eddie Kingston. By the time that full gear might be around, um, he might not have that championship anymore. So Miro might be an option. And, you know, in, in the Rene Paquette interview, he talked about how Miro was the person he debuted the night that Punk had his last match in the Rumble. So these two have technically never really had a match outside of the rumble together. 
So that and, and I don't think he's throwing out that that young bucks idea either. If mm. if he doesn't think like that's that's something that they will get around to, like planting that seed for people to want that. Like certainly there is a, a great value in the first time they put Punk and Brian just in a ring together, just to just like a speaking segment uh, of some sort. Like there's yeah. there's so much to play with. It's and they've got a giant amount of momentum where it's really hard to screw up when you're, when you're going in this direction with this kind of a positivity that's being met by your audience. Let's go up next to Costa. Costa, are you there? Hello? Hello, hello, Costa. I believe you're unmuted, but I cannot hear your microphone. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to mute you. Let's go up next to Renzo, I believe is how you pronounce your name. Renzo, are you there? Yes. Hey, yes, it is. Hey, Junwei. Hey, Renzo. Uh, hey, pretty good. Pretty good. First off, I want to say I haven't watched a full pay-per-view since Undertaker lost at WrestleMania. Okay, and I just That's a long time. On, yeah, it's been on and off. And it, this actually kept my attention. I try to watch other pay-per-views, WWE and such. But since CM Punk returned, like my interest has for AEW, just for wrestling, has come back. I bought an AEW ticket to Orlando. Um coming to Orlando in October and it's just, I don't know. I'm really excited for wrestling, I guess uh, I could say. And, uh, and just my interest is probably been the highest, like again, since, you know, undertaker law. So um, I guess hmm. my question is what, what are you guys thoughts? Uh, do you see, um, I'm guessing if, since I'm feeling this way, it might be a big boom for wrestling. We already saw like over a million, you know, for punk, uh, for his um, debut there in AEW. What, what do you guys think, you know, maybe happen within the next few years, uh, how the wrestling uh, and everything's going on? All right, thanks, guys. Uh, thank you, Renzo. Uh, I mean, short term, I mean, it's going to be gauged based on, the, you know, where where their television audience kind of settles in at. Like, there is going to be an enormous wave coming out of this show. Uh, Wednesday should be very high, but they've they've got a lot to follow it up with, with Newark, with Arthur Ashe Stadium. Like, it's going to be a huge month for them where it's going to be a lot of shows that feel very big in presentation to the audience. Long-term, several years, I think everything is towards this company and their next round uh, when their television rights come due. And how the television industry views this um, this growth product that has been like what they're able to do on Friday nights where they're performing on cable, much less Wednesdays as well. Like if this momentum continues, like the natural assumption would be that there's going to be a giant uh, amount of television rights fees coming their way uh, U.S. So I think that's that's what you're looking for is that this is a company that has evolved into like what I've like kind of dubbed like AEW 2.0 is sort of what it feels like it's it's migrating into and now it's kind of you've done the acquisition and now it is executing with all of these brand new toys that they have to play with and you have the interest of the wrestling fan and someone like Renzo pretty much illustrates that someone that has not watched a WWE pay-per-view in seven years that is really being brought back into this. Do we see, I mean, they've just added Rampage, of course, but do we do we see an increase in the amount of um, product, you know, whether it be, uh, in, maybe do they think about increasing the number of pay-per-views? Are they at that conversation? We have those TNT specials that are set to debut when? Next year. 
Yep. Next year. Okay. And those um, are four a year on TNT. So, and those will be booked like, you know, significant shows. Um, it seems like Tony Khan is pretty adamant on the four. I, I think they could do more. Like when we look at it, Double or Nothing was late, um, not Labor Day, Memorial Day weekend back in May. Like that, that's yeah. three months in between shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and in its place, like they did a lot of those, you know, specials uh, throughout July of the themed Dynamites. Uh, I'm not complaining against four a year, but just from the perspective of keeping them special, I think you could still add one or two shows a year and they'd still have the specialness um, that AEW has been able to acquire for their pay-per-views. Let's go back to the phone calls and uh, let's go to Rory. Rory, are you there? I'm here, yes. Um, this was this was an experience and a half. This was This was... By far the most uh, engaging, the most incredible pay-per-view that I've seen in so long. I've never, like, yes, I, I got up out of my chair and I screamed at, at the TV. Uh, it was it was phenomenal. Um, to, to go back to what you were saying just before, um, I can see Rampage doing two hours. I can see it going to two hours and being put back. Uh, potentially going one-on-one with SmackDown. I can see that being a being a potential, depending on how numbers go in the next couple of months. Um, but uh, in, in terms of, like, Brian, uh, Cole, Cole coming out of nowhere, didn't see that one coming tonight. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm counting down to the, to the New York show, counting down to Arthur Ashe, because that's going to be insane as well. Uh, Suzuki... Uh, being able to sing Kazen in our air, uh, that was incredible. I uh, loved it. It was great to hear a crowd actually be able to sing that as well, not mm-hmm. not just clap along with it like they have been. Um, but my thing is now going forward, and the thing I'm most interested in and most excited about is Wrestle Kingdom is three nights in January. Um, I can see, like, in between now and then, I can see a few changes happening, and I can see talent being able to go over there quite easily. Um, I'm thinking... Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, I, like, hearing Colt's personality in the the Tokyo Dome will be trippy, uh, seeing Brian go down that ramp. You might hear Uh, it in the Tokyo Dome. I don't think you'll hear it on uh, New Japan World. You'll hear... um, uh... I might have to travel. I might have to do some traveling, (laughs) maybe. Um, But uh, yeah, just just to see that that the image, let's say, of of punk going down. um, Well, it's it's a great point, Roy, because that's you know that's clearly part of the equation here for Danielson is like a New Japan outlet, and those would be the obvious shows for uh, Danielson to be on at least one. Um, But again, it's. Look, look, it's it's not the old way of just, hey, Brian Danielson is going on an airplane and he's going to be gone for four days and then he comes back. I mean, if there's a situation like where you have to quarantine, then that that throws a lot of difficult, you know, not not impossible log, uh, logistics to overcome. But those are present. Yeah, I, I, I see that. I, I just. I just see like like you can you can tell that Moxley really wants to get back there. Moxley is really keen to 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 be back in that in, in that environment again. Um, even though it's kind of not the same. Well, as I don't I don't exactly know why because he can have the same matchups here. 
Everybody's it, good. It, it's just he 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 betrays one character in America, but over there he's a completely different. He's a s- sort of different character as well. Like it's the difference between paradigm paradigm shift and, and Death Rider. It's it's like he has that I mean, different persona over there. I think I mean, I think he just likes I think he just likes Japan as well. He's grown accustomed to it. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll I'll shut up now. Uh, but. I just want to say this was incredible um, for me. Uh, and as I tweeted to you guys, yeah, after 10 years of listening to you guys, this has been like a, this has been the pivotal day and the pivotal night uh, for, for my fandom. And, and it, it has just injected me with so much enthusiasm and optimism for, for what's coming. And yeah, I just can't wait. Just can't wait for the future. Well, thank, thank you, you so Ryan. much, Rory. Appreciate the uh, sentiments, and thank you for being with us for a whole decade. God damn, that's that's a long time. Let's try a uh, Costa. Costa, are you there? One more time. Hey guys, did I fix it? Yes, you did. We can hear Good you. Good deal. Thank you, guys. Hey, can I just say what an amazing night to be a wrestling fan? Uh, I know I called you guys after the uh, Punk return. Talked about being a lapsed fan coming back. Uh, I'll tell you, I didn't know watching the TV. I was kind of into it. It was okay. I didn't know if I was going to stick with it. But tonight, that tag team match was everything I love about wrestling. It was creative. It was sharp. It was all energy. It was amazing. It was emotion. Uh, I I could not believe what I was watching the entire time through. Uh, Minoru Suzuki, what what a surprise! Like holy crap! And then you hear everybody singing. It never, I would never have expected it. Uh, and then Sting Junior, man, Darby Allen, uh, I had never seen this guy wrestle. That dude's amazing. Like it, it blows my mind. A guy his size can do what he does. And uh, you know, it's because I just he, he is that hurt. size. It's because he is that size that he, he can probably do what he can do. You're 100 percent right, and it's it's unique, it's different. He's got a style that just blows my mind, and I, I kind of feel bad for calling him Sting Junior because he's he is unique, and uh, I, I can't wait to watch more of him. I just hope he never gets hurt. You know, I'd love to watch him for the next 15 years, see what he does. So that's really all my thoughts. What a great night to be a fan. Thank you, Costa. Thanks for calling. Uh, totally agree with your sentiments. Thank you, Costa. Let's go up next to Professor Kevin. Professor Kevin, are you there? I'm here. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yes, we yes. can. Okay, great. I'm uh, I'm dialed in today because uh, I was actually listening to your review for uh, the, the drive home, and I finally just got in, and uh, I'm pretty exhausted. But uh, despite that, I think this will be the best wrestling show I've ever uh, been to, and I think in Chicago we're we're spoiled, especially in terms of AEW, because uh, Revolution 2020 was a really good show, all out. 2019 was a really good show. And then, of course, you know, the, the primordial soup to all of this, all in 2018, was a really good show. And it just it, it feels like they keep topping themselves. And um, tonight was really special. It, it, it feels like we are, you know, on the precipice of, of just something uh, like a golden age of um, another golden age, I suppose, maybe of a professional wrestling, but this time in the form of a company that has major financial backing and television and whatnot. So a uh, very optimistic feeling. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy for you, Kevin. Any any live experience um, highlights that you wanted to share? You know, from what I could tell. Uh, everything that happened in the building was broadcast in some way. It was either uh, uh, on the the pre-show, uh, the buy-in, 
or because uh, you guys got uh, uh, Daniel Bryan's, or excuse me, I'm still trying to get used to this as well. We, we did uh, get Danielson Daniel's on the speech. broadcast. That, yes, we saw him. That, that was the, you got the speech. Okay, so. No, we um, didn't get the speech. We yeah, did not I, get the speech. No, the speech didn't air. Oh, no. the, you guys did get a speech. Okay, wow. Well, um, I, I won't, I, I admit, I, I won't be able to, to do it justice here and recapping it. Hopefully, uh, you know, by the time this show's over, uh, someone will have uploaded it to YouTube, but it was awesome. He gave his, he gave his three reasons why uh, he joined AEW. Uh, and it was just this kind of the same feelings that, you know, punk speaking gave in the sense that you, even though it's pro wrestling, we, you can sense very easily that there is some real, real emotion going on with these performers and that they are genuinely excited that this company is where it's at and they are genuinely excited to be a part of the company and, and continue uh, helping with its growth. Mm, wonderful. Awesome. Uh, hopefully that'll be uploaded, but thank you for that little brief recap, uh, Kevin, and congratulations on picking uh, an all-time great show to attend. Uh, we'll talk oh, to you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, so, right, um, see you later. Okay. Bye. All right, guys. Thanks. Good night. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, okay. Uh, let's go to two more calls. Let's try Doug here. Doug, are you there? Hello, Hello Doug. Doug. Doug, going once, going twice. He tapped out. Goodbye. Our last call of the night. New Jersey. Okay. Brandon, are you there? Yeah, what's up? How are you? We won't spoil the show if you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Come on. Come on, man. The show is awesome. How could you think I didn't watch it, John? Come on. Oh, you, you were tweeting about it all night. I saw. <laughs> Brandon tweeting? Oh, yeah. Jiffing all night. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, is there anything I, you don't have an opinion about? <laughs> I definitely don't have an opinion on what's going on in uh, in Texas. I definitely don't have an opinion on that. It's none of my business. Anyway, I, I thought tonight was a fantastic match. I was disappointed that uh, Darby and and, uh, and Punk wasn't more grappler based. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, because Darby has a, a wrestling background and uh, Punk uh, trains with Duke Rufus and whatnot. I, I, uh-huh. I, I I don't know if you're speaking in just, but I, I actually think that's uh, very legitimate. You know, we, we were talking on Friday. Hey, do we see like any wrinkles in Punk's game that he would pick up from MMA? No MMA influence. This was like very much CM Punk. If anything, it was more like pro wrestling influence than usual. Yeah, it, it, if it was just a throwaway line, like maybe it was, but it really seemed to me like the commentators, they were trying with Punk trying to get across like his rear naked choke. Like they went out of their way to break that down and that he's got a very effective choke, but. There was no hint of that because because the minds I was being serious, but the mindset of, of me is that like, you know, the guy's aging and he would uh, I know he uses a more methodical pace in his wrestling, which is a tremendous storytelling and whatnot. But I, I thought he would use more uh, more grappling base. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe if he got a submission, you know, Duke Rufus would throw him his, his black belt. Right. <laughs> what do you got to right do these things, Brandon? <laughs> What's that? I'm sorry. What belt is he right now? I'm sure he's a decent belt. I'm sure he's like a probably upper upper blue or close to brown, right? Well, he's got he's pants good... now, so he needs some belts to keep those pants on. He's a legit grappler, right? I'm I, yeah. I, I, I'm thinking uh he he has the pants because he's trying to make us forget his uh his UFC days, right? With the mm. shorts. I'm sure, I, I, I'm sure more... it's not that deep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe it's just me, right, John? 
<laughs> and, and one more thing uh danielson uh I, I, I loved it great debut great ponytail uh uh bringing back the man bun like it was uh 2012 but uh his music it was very like reggaeton based like <laughs> that surely can't that can't be his his music in the future for the next pay-per-view right i mean surely they, they're gonna remix it and make it more uh traditional right I think snoop dogg needs to get on the ride of the valkyries <laughs> we could hear a remix I feel like him and da- I thought I thought Daddy Yankee was gonna walk out with it because <laughs> it was just so dubstep trapped. Uh, I don't know. It just didn't suit him. Uh, maybe it's just me. Maybe Wait. maybe. I'm- so there there's a a lot of shows coming Brandon's way. I'm sure not by coincidence. Uh, in the next month, uh, from this Newark show, the Queen show, and the big one of Nick Gage and John Moxley. So is Brandon going to be attending any of these? October show. Uh, I uh, I corresponded with John Pine of of the uh, of the of GCW show, and uh, he uh, he uh, wanted he wants me to uh, venture to uh, the showboat to uh, to oh, watch boy. that. And uh, uh, well, Minoru Suzuki's supposed to be there too. So uh, I mean, that's Kazunari, right. Kazunari, Kazunari, I want to I want to jam. I was supposed to sing that uh, at uh, WrestleMania with Orange Cassidy. So uh, Redemption is is on my way in October. Well, enjoy the spooky dust. You're going to have a great time. Absolutely, man. I'm sure that Gage and uh, Moxley match is going to be bloody and uh, full of crimson mask, right? No, I, like, I think that's like where me. you'll get your 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 technical uh, <laughs> repertoire from those two. Oh, my God. If they did a straight wrestling match, I'd be in heaven. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be the ultimate, uh, I'd be the ultimate uh, co- comedic. Uh, I would love it. All right, guys. I, I, you've had enough of me. Good night, guys. I love Thank you guys. Thank you, Brandon. You ended Thank things you. strong. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, how are you feeling, John? Wait, I cannot tackle all this feedback. No, it's okay. Let's let's do the magic number, okay? Let's do three. Um, sorry, everybody. We only have so much, but we have a lot of feedback here. And I encourage everybody to go to form.postwrestling.com if you're a cafe patron, or even if you're not, just go to form.postwrestling.com so you can read more of what people thought of AEW All Out. Uh, I'll start, John, with Bruce, who says, uh, won't be able to call him, but I had three points. This was the most satisfying AEW to date by a sizable margin. Nothing overstated its welcome, and each big match delivered. Hell, this might be the best North American pay-per-view I've seen in 20-odd years. God, I love pro wrestling. Tony Schiavone spoke for us all. I'm not going to let anybody forget that I predicted the Suzuki appearance for a long while. And most importantly, this was the first wrestling show I was able to watch with friends in nearly two years. And that makes me more than uh, more happy than I can say. Thank you, Bruce. Noah from Vaughn via Chicago was at the show live. He says, hands down the greatest show I've ever seen. Every match ruled and being live for Punk's entrance was one of the greatest moments I've ever seen. Incredible crowd. It was insane all night. Brian gave a kick-ass speech after the show. In his words, let's fucking go. 1,000 out of 10, best night ever. Wow, okay. Uh, let's go to a few more. We have some pretty good ones here. You know, I'm going to start with the good doctor, Dr. Patel himself, who I think at least deserves to have his feedback uh, read on the air for all he's given us. Dr. Alex Patel says, I'm so glad I ordered this. Absolutely incredible matches. I lost my mind when Suzuki's music hit. The tag match was one of the best ever. Finally, we see not only Adam Cole, but also Brian Danielson debut in one night. On top of that, great matches with Jericho, Omega, and CM Punk being back. What more can you ask for as a fan? Crowd was unreal. Just what I needed before starting a week of ICU tomorrow. 
So thank you, Dr. Patel. And uh, thank you for all the work you do. Yes, thank you. This is uh, from David in Israel. This show started at 3 a.m. and ended at 7 for me, but it was so worth it. This show reminds me of Money in the Bank in terms of making me fall in love again with pro wrestling, and it's only fitting that it's a show that features the in-ring return of Punk. Brian Danielson and Adam Cole actively choosing to go with AEW over WWE is probably one of the more important and talked about decisions for years to come. Shout out to Penta for making me tear up when he took the nail shoe super kick in order to protect Phoenix. 10 out of 10 show. Oh my, wow. Uh, Alex from Portland, who attended live, says, I honestly think this will be the best wrestling show I'll ever see. Every match delivered, all the promos were created, the crowd was hot for everything, and there were, ice, there were still ice cream bars. CM Punk's appearance got me teary, something I feel WWE has absolutely lost the ability to do. 10 out of 10. There's a lot here of just like best pay-per-view ever. They love the show. Long live Tony Khan. Uh, we'll read this one. Andrew from St. John. Wild to think that a year after a minor disaster in All Out 2020, that we are here with the company standing as the hottest brand going. And really, the show was still stand out without the debuts, with crowds deeply invested in Miro and Kingston, the Britt Baker finish, and the Lucha Bros against the Young Bucks. But so many memorable moments were established here with the Punks, Coles, Suzuki's, Danielson's, and more. At first, I was worried we were seeing UFC-era Punk, but once he got his rhythm, he had that fluidity and transition that helped set him apart. Thrilled to see so many of my favorites in one place 10 Kazanina Reyes out of 10 okay let's end off here with MJ from NJ who happened to be outside of the venue as he was typing this he says just wanted to say the best chant I've ever been a part of was after the show with 10,000 strong chanting we love wrestling said after said if after Punk's return he said it after Punk's return and he will say it now he unapologetically and proudly Loves professional wrestling. Wow, what a wonderful sight to be a part of. Uh, there we go. Like, honestly, John, like one of the most positive feeling shows we've probably ever done coming off of this. Uh, you guys are so negative. You're <laughs> all these fans that ruin these shows. No, it was, uh, you know, uh, probably will be the best received show of the year by. A pretty astounding margin uh, that loved this show. This was, I think, an all-time classic pay-per-view. It's going to be remembered for a long time, and that's not just the the start-to-finish quality of the show. It's the impact that it could have uh, that we look back on. Like, this could very well be looked at as kind of this... Uh, I'm not going to say launching point, but almost like ascending to the next level. And it just feels, uh, in, in some ways, um, you know, elements of... WWF going national where they called all the stars from these different territories. It's not the identical thing here, but they have taken some very key pieces and have assembled like this, this lineup of talent that has a lot of interest right now. And, you know, they are poised to do a lot of big things in the immediate and long-term future. Yeah. And it's because of that reason that I really do have to wonder how WWE is looking at something like this. You know, it's one thing I think to be able to say, okay, they could be on Wednesday. We'll pull our show away from it. They'll have their whatever, you know, 700,000 people that might tune in on Wednesday can't compete with us. Is this going to be, are they going to be reactionary for something like this? And how will they do that? So uh, potentially a whole lot of fallout maybe from uh, professional wrestling. It's, it's certainly a great time to be a fan. Well, the fallout will be tomorrow night when we are back for Rewind to Raw following Charlotte Naya 2 from Miami. 
you know, way, way too early to, you know, name your match of the year contenders. Okay. Um, we got to wait for even match of the week. We got to wait for tomorrow. I'm pretty solid in thinking I might have my best and worst match of the year. And they took place within six days of each other. Uh, that would be quite the week. Yeah. All right. That's going to wrap it up. Thank you so much to everyone that joined us live. Uh, for anyone that has uh, joined the double, double or higher tier Thank you very much. We appreciate uh, all of you out there. And we're going to be back Monday night. Way, thank you as always for going uh, two hours here. Thank you, John. I mean, I've still got my energy. Great. Awesome, mate. Let's rewatch the show. Uh, maybe we'll, Maybe I will. No, I've, I've got to work in a few <laughs> hours, so uh, I, w- I will be off. But thank you to everybody for joining us. We'll speak with you Monday night. Postwrestling.com is where you can get all the latest news coming out of All Out and beyond. Good night.